1: you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host
0: i'm i'm very very grateful that my first novel was wake and not and not lfa as was it was just a much stronger and better novel
1: Welcome to Write-Off, a podcast about writing rejection in all its varied forms, from self-doubt to books not selling. I'm Francesca Steele, a journalist and writer based in London. I first had the idea for this podcast a year ago, actually. I was listening to a lot of writer podcasts that touched on rejection, but I always found myself wanting more specifics about how people got past those experiences. In part, I think, because rejection is pretty common, and I don't think we talk about it as much as we should but also probably because I was revising my own novel at the time and after all that effort, the idea of an author's novel failing to sell and then them finding the blind hope to go on to write again seemed incredible to me. And then I accidentally became very on brand. I found a brilliant agent for my novel, it was shortlisted for a prize, everything seemed to be going so well, and then it went on submission and didn't sell. I was utterly shocked and devastated at the time but I've since learned so much from the authors who've kindly shared their stories with me here, not least that rejection is sometimes the beginning and not the end. I hope you find them as inspiring as I did. My first guest is Anna Hope, who is the author of three novels, including Expectation, a beautifully written story that was published to great fanfare in 2019, and which tells the tale of three friends in their thirties trying to navigate lives which look rather different from what they had expected. Anna knows a fair bit about Perseverance, Before she became a best-selling novelist, she was an actor, and she describes that period of her 20s as full of rejection. And then when she turned to writing, her first novel failed to sell. Anna was so warm and honest about how hard that was, and has some really good insight into how that also forced her to really focus on the joy she took from the writing itself. So here's Anna. I was
0: just reflecting a little bit earlier when I was thinking about this interview about rejection and how difficult it is actually for me to talk about writerly rejection without first talking about acting. So it's really interesting that you've you've kind of brought that front and centre because, I mean, even even a successful acting career, and when I say successful, I guess, I mean, I never felt like I had a successful acting career. I would work for maybe about three months a year in a good year, but even a really successful acting career has so much rejection in it. And, um, and I experienced a huge amount of it. I mean, I, I came out of radar I was 26. I had a pretty sort of starry agent and you know, people tell you all sorts of things and you sort of believe them and you sort of don't. And, and then you're launched out into this business and people are incredibly Keen to meet you. I mean, it could in in so many ways, you're the kind of the fortunate 1%, you know, leaving a place like Rada. Um, but the reality very quickly, you know, becomes something very different. And I think I got my first job as an actor um a year to the day um that I that I left drama school. So I was really Struggling, um, I was on the dole in Brighton. I didn't really ever get a following wind. I mean, I would get I would get jobs, and I would have you know the odd day here and there in a film, or the odd day here and there in a telly or a play. You know, which would be great because you'd have three months employment. But you know, it, it just it just never really worked out. And and people would say to me, why aren't you doing something? Why aren't you writing a one woman show? you know, you could do something like that, you could create your own work, and I had this strange sort of resistance, I think, to writing um, something for myself, I just saw myself as an actor, which was kind of such a sort of strange, whether it was to do with my personality, or, or the training that they give you at RADA, where you kind of, you're not really, or certainly that's, uh, you know, 20 years ago, we weren't creating our own work, or anyway, and I um, and went on, you know, for like a good sort of Three or four years, four or five years and I think I turned 30, maybe I was 31 and I just thought I, I can't go on, I cannot go on like this. I was working, I'd moved back to London and and I was working in a call centre in Dalston um, with a load of other actors which was a fine place to work actually um, but um, yeah, I think I reached a really, really low point in my life mm-hmm. and I thought I've got, something's got to change but I, and it was actually two friends who sat me down at this really low point and said you know you've got you love writing why don't you go and do a writing course and um and I did I did a, a little writing course at City Lit and then I went and did a masters at Birkbeck and and that was the beginning of it really so so my writing was actually born out of my acting rejection and so did you love writing pretty much straight away yeah I did um yeah, so starting Birkbeck, I mean, Birkbeck's a really interesting place, I think a great place because it has people, because it teaches in the evenings, you know, it has people from all walks of life, you know, people that are fitting their education in around their their lives. And so it attracts a really, really diverse student body. And I loved that immediately. And, um, and we were told to think of ourselves as writers, immediately I remember by the professor and you know we all got together and I was I just thought that's I'm not a writer we're not writers you know we're so far from being writers but somehow they sort of engendered that.
1: Yes I did the Faber Academy course and they said something similar to us at the beginning of that and I remember feeling amazed at it.
0: Yeah it's it's an extraordinary thing to hear um yeah And what's interesting, I suppose, when you kind of go back and unpack that, is you think, well, what what part of that meant that I thought that that I was going to be a published writer, right? Because (laughs) you're a writer, whether or not you're a published writer, but we're all there, really, with the dream of being a published writer. So that's that's, that's interesting, because then, of course, when you come up against the realities of life after studying, it's kind of different, but yeah.
1: And so were you writing what went on to be your first novel um, on that course?
0: Yeah, so so at Birkbeck, I, I started off thinking that I was going to. Um, I mean, I don't know if your your experience was similar, but certainly over the the, the masters at Birkbeck, they taught uh, first and foremost they taught they taught through the short story. So we would read and critique short stories, um, and um, and then we were kind of submitting our own work in workshop alongside that and I did it part-time as well which I should say I did it over two years which which was really sort of sane for me because it gave me the time to develop as a writer but yeah so I was initially just thinking that I was going to write short stories um, and it took me quite a long time to come around to the idea that I would ever be a novelist I thought I was going to write sort of you know these sort of quite spiky um, modernist short stories I mean I don't think I I wasn't thinking about really getting published at that stage but yeah and then we did a course on screenwriting which was really interesting because he talked through film and structure and I hadn't really ever thought about structure before and when I started to think about structure and I started to think about novels and structure I started to kind of get quite excited and and I remember writing a synopsis in class what was one of the one of the exercises was that we had to write a synopsis for a novel in class and he sort of did it on the back of a an envelope and submitted it. And I thought, actually, I could try and write this novel. <laughs> <laughs> like kind of a, wow. A thought experiment at first, you know, and, and then it became a kind of actual experiment. And then I and then I wrote it. And I just loved it. I mean, I think for so many years I, you know, I'd had this kind of sense of of frustration, deep, deep creative frustration. And it was the first time since being a kid, I think, that I felt like I could just go, you know, just keep writing and writing and writing. And I did, mm. till I'd finished it. Um, so yeah. tell us a little
1: bit about that novel, if you can.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay, so it it was a novel, um, which was about a young woman. Um, I was really interested in, in feminism and, um, you know, and 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 the suffrage movement, the suffragettes, and um, and I'd also grown up. I was really sort of influenced with where I'd grown up, which was the industrial north, and that landscape, um, and how sort of intertwined with sort of social activism that was, at, you know, in the early twentieth century. And I wanted, to write, <laughs> I wanted to write about a young woman from the industrial North who becomes involved in the suffrage movement, but I was also really interested in, her, in a sort of very little corner of Victorian Edwardian history which was where these young women had sort of emancipated themselves, working class women had emancipated themselves by cu- becoming involved in, in spiritualism. So they'd kind of basically led or uh, seances um, and they had found their voices in this kind of very kind of strange little, I suppose, occult world. And I was interested in writing at the kind of intersection of, of yeah, of, of feminist history, social history, and then this kind of strange little corner of spiritualism. And so I concocted this story about this young woman who is a mill worker in, in the North and she, she comes down to London after kind of meeting these quite strange spiritualist people and in London she meets this young woman called Clem and Clem's a sort of proto-feminist who's studying at a mechanics institute and um, and they have these sort of wild adventures and so it was a sort of a mashup, really of, of lots of different genres which is I think part of the reason that it didn't get published but I was like living this novel you know I was so into it yes I mean I
1: obviously want to hear more about that submission process in a minute but um I mean it sounds it sounds fascinating and I can hear from you how you're describing it even now how passionate you were or are about it and um, did how did the how did you get an agent um at that stage was it at the end of Birkbeck or yeah I, I it was I
0: mean I'd finished Birkbeck in the summer and I'd written my dissertation and but I'd also sort of written most of a first draft and so I think I would written most of a first draft by the September of the year that I finished and um and I remember really clearly standing on the street in Bloomsbury and just kind of feeling feeling I, I really need somebody to help me now <laughs>
1: mm.
0: really need somebody to help me get over this river I can see this river in front of me and on the other side are many things that I would love to have, you know, a published novel, a career as a writer. I mean, I understood that those things were difficult to get. And I, it, it's not that I, I I felt confident of getting them, but I just thought I really I had this really strong image of a river and a boatman, boatwoman, somebody sort of rowing me across this river that I didn't know how to navigate. I mean, I didn't know anything about where to go for an agent and I would say that wasn't a very strong suit of Bert Becks. actually they didn't have I think it's probably much much better now but at that point they didn't have very strong links with with the industry anyway I didn't have a clue and so there I was just kind of in bloom thinking I really need somebody and I just started looking through the acknowledgments of of books that I had enjoyed and there was a book called The Outcast by a writer called Sadie Jones and I and I just really admired her voice, which was sort of a bit, it was it was quite dark. I, I, I liked her prose. And I looked up who her agent was and and saw that it was somebody called Caroline Wood. And I and I sent, you know, three chapters off to her, like printed them out. And I was standing in the post office in Hackney with my little envelope. Well, my A4 envelope and <laughs> my three chapters. <laughs> sending them off because I don't think they took, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, 10 years ago, but they didn't take submissions via email. <laughs> so I sent off my chapters and then- Wow. And then heard nothing oh. um, for a long time. And then, um, yeah, and then I got a call asking for the rest of my book. And I think then I could send it up as a file um, by that time, I'd sent it off to an agent called Hannah, who was a friend of a friend. And I think she read the first few pages and said, no, it's not for it's not for me. Oh, um, really? and then... So
1: you'd already had that experience by the time Caroline got back to you.
0: Yeah, but it was quite sort of I remember it as not being such a big deal because I, I think it just was so not um, as it was not the sort of book that Hannah agented and I think Mm. once I kind of understood that when I looked at her list I was like oh yeah it probably wouldn't it probably wouldn't have been for her anyway Mm. um at that time I I mean but anyway yeah so there um and I and I think I'd sort of sort of given up because I hadn't had anything back from Caroline either and then I was away I was out of the country and um and I arrived somewhere I got phone reception and I and I had sort of lots of missed calls and messages from Caroline saying, I have finished your book. and I really love it. And that, you know, let's meet in, when you're back. And, and I met up with her and we, you know, I liked her immediately and she offered to represent me. Um, and from there we started working on the book together.
1: Amazing. And how long did you work on it for?
0: A long her? time. Yeah, a long time. I mean, we worked so I guess I would have met her in the January and then we worked for about three or four months, I think, together. Hmm. She's an extraordinary agent for lots of reasons, but I would say, I think, you know, she's she's just an incredible editor. She's really rigorous and she just will not let anything out until she's she feels as though it's the absolute best it can be. She doesn't ever really take a punt. You know, she she really drilled down into it with me, which was amazing, which was just what I, you know, really wanted and needed. And she sent it out, I think, to a small, a small crew of editors, maybe six or seven. Mm. And there was a really positive response, but nobody said yes. But there was enough of a really positive response to warrant a kind of resubmission. So I redrafted it and there was an editor, particularly at Faber then that I was super excited about who I, like I just stalked on Twitter and I was like, oh my God, she's the one. <laughs> she's gonna my my book. And then we resubmitted. And I remember I was doing a play. One of the times I was doing a play and I was in Twelfth Night in Bury St. Edmunds and, um, and I remember, you know, she'd resubmitted it. And we'd heard that the editor at Faber was taking it to acquisitions. She wanted to buy it. And I thought this meant that I was kind of home and dry. I didn't really understand the acquisitions process. And um, and then didn't hear anything for a few days and then just got a call saying it's not going to work. She couldn't get enough people to be excited about it, to buy it. And, oh, and, God. And so it <laughs> and so I was just sort of yeah I mean I was like on so many levels felt kind of gutted because I think because I've had such experience of rejection as an actor um and and I thought here was this thing this this thing that was a real refuge actually from years of feeling buffeted and, and from years of just feeling like I wasn't really doing much with my life creatively and suddenly I'd found this thing and there I was taking it to the marketplace again you know and the marketplace going "Eh, eh." (laughs) yes
1: can I just drill down a little bit into um, into that redrafting process because I think um, from my own experience it's easy to sort of say that almost as if it was quite a quick thing but actually if you're redrafting on the basis of feedback that's come back from editors, I guess that's in a way that presumably instills a bit of extra hope where you're like, well, I, I, know, I know what to do to get this sold now. Is that
0: how that felt or? I think it did to an extent. I mean, as far as I remember, the, the sort of feedback from editors was quite general. It wasn't sort of super super It wasn't like line by line. Um and certainly the one at Faber, it was kind of more of a mode it'd be really interesting to just kind of pull up those emails actually and see what what she had said, you know, because they 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 I don't know if you've had this in your experience. You know, they you often get if you're lucky, you get a kind of short paragraph about mm. what they liked and what, what they'd like to kind of see change. But um yeah, I mean, I think I was really writing as well towards this particular editor because I thought she was my best hope and I also thought she was a great editor mm. um, and she had a really lovely list and, and, and I loved her
1: take on the book. Um, what what did you change in your revisions for the second submission?
0: It was quite radical as far as I can remember. I mean, it was, I think we first submitted in, in sort of April time and this resubmission wasn't till October. So it was a really radical overhaul of the book. I think I, there was there was some sexual abuse in it at the beginning and I I, I really kind of looked at how that was working in the text and, and, and I, I decided that I wanted that to kind of be much less in the foreground um, I focused a lot more on the, on the relationship and the friendship between the two Women, which would be interesting to come back to, because they lived on actually in my second novel, *The Ballroom*. I, I oh, that's play. so interesting. Yeah, and I think it was that redrafting and um, living with those two women for, you know, for for those extra months that meant that I just could felt like I couldn't really let them go, um, and so it became a novel about friendship much more than it was a novel about i mean i think before I, I i had been the themes had led the writing and it became much more much more character driven mm. um it was definitely a better book the second time it went out but i think it just it was always going to be hobbled by this kind of just strange mashup of of genre really and i think anytime you have a sort of you know, working class woman coming to London, it's just you've got to work incredibly hard to move away from kind of um, cliche and, you know, and, and particularly in that time period. And, and I, yeah, I'd hope that, I mean, I, I hope it did escape that. But yeah, I think it was always hobbled from the start by, yes. by the genre thing. And, yeah.
1: I was just wondering if you, um, having thought about it at this stage, had any thoughts about why it didn't succeed in terms of getting published that you might not have had at the time
0: i mean i think it 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 just it does you know i think what i've i've already kind of said about the fact that it was just it was it was trying to do too much it was it was trying to do too many things at once it was trying to be this kind of novel about the beginnings of the suffrage movement it was trying to be a novel about uh, you know about um about what it means to come from a certain place in in the north and 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 come to london and 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 that experience of this young woman it was trying to be a novel about about science and victorian spiritualism and it was trying to be all sorts of exciting things but it was it was trying to be them all at the same time and i think that if that when i you know, moved away from it and rested it, I was able to take those characters who were actually the strongest aspect of the book. And I was able to put them in a situation where those themes were there actually probably even more strongly in in my second book, but they were, it was always driven by character, rather than rather than trying to kind of put the themes first.
1: That's so interesting and something I can really relate to actually I think is actually it's interesting that you mentioned the ballroom um, because I also think some of those themes that you've described also crop up in um, expectation that they're coming from the north and they're settling in London and then also um, it it sounds like it shared something that I noticed wake and um, expectation share which is this sort of quite a strong atmospheric sense of yearning that seemed that that, that seemed to categorize a lot of th- a lot of um those books for me is that is that would you say that's right
0: um well I'd say thank you because I, I think that's a really fascinating thing and I haven't heard it so just to be it always isn't kind of an amazing feeling to me to be read you know and and reflected on so if I don't think there's a right or wrong I think that's a really wonderful observation and one I'm really grateful to um, have thank you yeah um, yeah I think that's true I mean I wrote them in in times of of yearning myself I think so so there was definitely um, definitely a huge amount of yearning in them yeah yeah that's really interesting. So the Faber
1: acquisitions didn't go as hoped and then at what point did the sort of penny drop that this was not going to sell? Was it at that favor point, or was there a more sort of a slower kind of realization that
0: that was it? Yeah, yeah it was. It was sort of then in my body. I think as I, I just knew, and 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 then there were still like a couple of editors who um, were reading, but you you could feel this sort of feeling of. I was gonna say, you know, scraping the barrel, which is just not the right image at all. But it was just a feeling of like I think quite quickly after that, I thought, you know what? i I, I just want to stop this process now. It's too painful. I yeah. do not want to just vlog this novel at any cost. I actually just want to write, write another book. Yes. And interesting. <laughs> um, and and when I'd had that feeling it was like it was like, it was like a kind of oh shit feeling because it was this kind of sense of you know the simultaneous rising in me of like right come on <laughs> i'm gonna do it and also this feeling of like are you really gonna do it are you really gonna put yourself through that again how did you
1: <laughs> how did you work up the courage to start again because that was what two and a half years of working on that at that point and then all those years of um, the acting struggles before that that we've talked about. How on earth did you did you work yourself up to another one?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I'm quite sort of um, determined as a person, you know, and and um, and I suppose I, I, I yeah, I, I guess I just thought I was a bit, you know, I suffered a lot from depression in my twenties, and is interesting because I'll just speak my way through this quite carefully because I've never actually articulated this before, but I suffered a lot from depression in my 20s and it was absolutely um, exacerbated by my acting career. Mm. Um, and once I started writing, I didn't suffer from depression anymore. I had found the thing that was a sort of deep holding space for my psyche, actually, and my soul. And so it was a, I mean, all the more sort of dangerous in a way than to take that to the marketplace, I guess, because it had offered me such a profound holding. But I suppose in the end, it was the understanding that regardless of whether or not I would get this second book published, it would do me good to write it. It would do me good on every level to write it and i was extraordinarily fortunate to have a partner who he he had seen the change in me because he'd been with me for quite quite a few years and he'd seen the change that writing had brought to me and he said i'll pay the rent while you write another book and you don't have to do as many shifts at the call center and and so that's what he did and i um and also he was incredibly kind i mean i remember i think I had about a month off after the plays where I didn't write. And then he, he literally, he woke me up with a coffee. And I've told this story on an interview before, but he woke me up with a coffee in my favorite Virginia Woolf <laughs> <laughs> and said, you know, he just said, get up and write another book. Start now. And I did, I did. And then Wake took
1: you quite a long time too, didn't it? Um, it Involved a lot of research and
0: was it several years? Yeah, it took about three years. It took about three years. So, yeah, and and that was not an easy process. It's not like I then wrote this other book and my life, you know, turned around. I I wrote it and (laughs) I wrote draft after draft after draft and draft after draft my agent read and time after time she said it's not working and it got to the point where she said it's not working and I can't tell you why and that was like oh god yeah and 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 I was like okay well so this really is it
1: (laughs) how did you get over that how did you figure
0: out what was wrong um I had resisted giving it to my parents to read they're both incredible readers or my dad was before he got very ill but you know and 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 really interesting critics but I had resisted giving it to them but I, I was at such a kind of point with it and I just said look um can you read this for me and can you be really honest because it just feels like I, I just don't know what to do with it anymore um and I gave it to them both to read and they both came back and said it's it's really strong but but you've got to rewrite a third of the book there's a storyline that's just not working and that was just incredible advice they were quite brutal and they were right and I did as they'd suggested and I did a you know a really rigorous rewrite of a third of the book and then wow. yeah and then I, I I sent it to Caroline she's like she read it <laughs> she said yeah no I, I, it's ready I'll, I'll send it out on Tuesday <laughs> <laughs> wow and was that a
1: third in the sense of one of the three perspectives or was it yeah yeah uh,
0: it was,
1: was, which it perspective was, was it if you don't mind me asking
0: it was Hetty the the dancer
1: interesting because um, she's the um, first one we meet isn't she I mean yeah so
0: yes yeah, so that that was and uh, yeah and then she you know then my life did change actually because she sent it out on the Tuesday and by the Thursday, there was a sort of preempt on it, and then and then there was a big auction, and then you know there was a preempt in the states, and you know and then
1: and then and 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 then I didn't go back to the call center. Yes. <laughs> That's a, a fairly <laughs> underwhelming way of describing how much your life changed. I didn't go back <laughs> to the call center. I just became a best-selling full-time novelist instead. <laughs>
0: Well, um, i became, i didn't become best selling i mean but i became a full-time novelist and and you know it was just totally amazing
1: <laughs> yeah when you were writing wake and this this whole long process did um you talked about you know taking things to the market did that knowledge of the market at that stage and, and the knowledge that sometimes the market wasn't um as favorable back <laughs> as you might hope did, did that um tinker with your confidence and or self-doubt when you were writing
0: y- yeah it did and I think there was a certain point where I just thought I you know maybe I'd been sort of second guessing things and thinking about and I'm still guilty of that now you know as I write just thinking um just having to just switch off those voices I mean there's so many different voices that you've got to switch off aren't there I mean there's the ones that tell tell you it's it's shit There's the ones that tell you this but there's those particular voices that are kind of yeah say you know this is what sells and it's like you just you just cannot you just can't listen to them because whatever you experience with one book is is not got, going to be what you experience with another book but for all sorts of reasons because the zeitgeist will have change because editors are looking for different things because and you just can't know that and and it would be a, an appalling thing to kind of keep that anywhere in the front of your mind you know so i so yeah i mean which is not to say that it doesn't pop up it, it didn't pop up regularly and um, certainly because i was writing a novel about the first world war and and i or the end of the first world war and i realized at whatever point into it I was like oh god yeah it's going to be 2014 so in some ways that could be a good thing people might want first world war novels and I thought they probably would but in other ways I thought it would it could not you know it could backfire um if the market was flooded and you know whatever so that that was part that was kind of there in the mix but um I just yeah plowed on regardless really and 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 learned to 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 not pay attention to those voices yeah
1: and so that kind of, um, I guess when you moved from acting to writing, there was a sort of novel optimism in in taking on this kind of new, um, this new creative endeavour. Did that feel like it was still there when you'd had this experience of rejection? Were you, did you still feel optimistic
0: when you were writing Wake? No, I don't think I did. No, I think I felt like it, it was... Um hard to write actually it was it was very tough subject matter and I and I felt like I was in in, immersed in in a a kind of I mean it was almost like an underworld experience you know I was reading so much about death and so much about the war and so much about what people had been through and, and that it was not an optimistic time really I think I always felt like this was this was a book that perhaps um was more integ- integrated than my previous book. So on, on that on a technical level, I felt as I probably had more of a chance of selling. But I, I don't remember it as an optimistic period either in my life or, you know, in, in relation to to the creative process or or what I thought might come of it. No. But it wasn't an unoptimistic period. It was just a period where I was taking it day by day. And 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 also, you know, everything that I say about that, about it being kind of quite a dark time, was mitigated by the fact that I always always loved writing you know and and that's always been the case it's I am not a writer that struggles to get to the desk I'm not a writer that has to force myself you know in any way I I, whatever I'm writing about I mean I I I love the the craft of it I love the the solitude of it I love I love it so so yeah
1: that's so interesting i wonder what it is about um about writing compared with acting that feels pleasurable even amidst rejection or the possibility
0: of rejection i think it's agency mm. and um because as as an, as an actor you 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 profoundly lack agency you know you're 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 just waiting for i mean you know you're waiting to get a call from your agent to say you've got a meeting you're waiting to have the meeting you prepare for it you put everything into it you you then wait to hear whether or not you've got it or or not and you know cumulatively that that's pretty toxic i would say whereas with writing there isn't there's just you know there's only the sort of financial constraints which which are you know yeah, I, I feel grateful that I started to do it when I, you know, I didn't have a family and mm. and I was able to to live on very little. I appreciate this still, you know, for so many people the kind of the, you know the, the 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 financial constraints are are massive. Mm. Um, but but yeah, beyond that, I think if you can find if you can carve out a couple of hours a day, then there is nothing, you know, you, you it's just you and whichever means you choose to write. And I think that's a really amazing thing. And it's also an amazing thing, I think, in a in a society which teaches us to be consumers, you know, I think, you know, to just be able to be, you know, creative in a way that's not mediated. Um is 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 profound. And you know, whatever, whatever comes of it, you know, it's 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 a great thing to do. So it's yeah.
1: Um. We talked already a little bit about how you felt that you repurposed some of your characters from that first
0: book. Um, did that first book have a name by the way? I think it was called LFA, but I was always open to changing it. So LFA was the character's name and and that's the name of of the main female character in Okay. In the board. Okay. And did
1: you I, w- I was going to ask you if you ever missed those characters from from that first unpublished book, um, because in a way, it's sort of like a little death in a way, creating people and then having to put them away and say, sorry, you can't have a life. You've got to go in a drawer now. But mm-hmm. perhaps you don't miss them that much because they did get repurposed.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I I couldn't bear that little death. I think it's more than a little death, actually. I think it's 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 it's. It's it's hard, you know, if, if you've been through that experience, to say, yeah, to to, to come to terms with with that. But I, I suppose it's like, is it you know, do they only live if they live in other in other people's kind of consciousnesses as well? But but yeah, of course, we all hope for publication and 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 for these characters to live on. But but yeah, so I when I was um, when I was planning um, the ballroom. And and I was thinking of characters that I wanted to put in there. I I just thought, well, it's that, it's those two women because their their friendship was so alive to me still. And and um, yeah. And and I, so I I put I put them in the asylum where the ballroom is set and 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 lived with them for longer. And 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 that was that was great did your
1: experience do you think have any
0: positive impact on your writing long term? Yes i mean I, I think i'm i'm very very grateful that my first novel was wake and not and not LFA as was um you know for so many reasons it, it it allowed me to become a full-time writer and and um it was just a much stronger and better novel to have as a first novel. And I think that that's often the case. And I think that, you know, if there are people here who are listening to this and they're either in the process of writing a first novel, you know, or having a first novel rejected or coming back from that, I think take heart because I think so often the, you know, your first novel is 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 learning about the form and learning about the demands of the form. And I think that, you know, it it it's apt, there is no shame in having your first novel rejected. In fact, in so many ways, for me it was it was an invaluable experience. Um, and so so I'm very grateful. But it's always easy to look back, isn't it, when you're in a position of relative comfort and ease and look back at the weave and think, ah. Oh, here it was always meant to be like like this you know like leading to this point but it certainly didn't feel like that you know for me yeah in those times of deep rejection it really didn't and and but I I do think that maybe deep down I always knew that I could write a better book and I think you know every novel you're learning about you know the demands that the, the, your story wants you know every story will, will will need a different form right so with every new novel with every new story you're finding the form for that the right form for that story so it's never going to be the same
1: thank you so much for listening to write off i hope you've enjoyed it um, if you do have a chance to leave a review or rating I'd really appreciate it. You can do that in your podcast app and it really helps people find the podcast. Plus it just makes me feel good to be honest. Guests still to come on the podcast include Andy Weir, Catherine Heine, Julian Fellows, Anne Napolitano, Alex Wheatle, Michelle Roberts, Harry Parker, Phoebe Morgan and Douglas Stewart. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at Francesca Steele with an E at the end. So do pop along and say hello. Um, Hope to see you. Bye.